Brendan Horan is a chartered accountant who has served as managing director of Mix Telematics Africa since June 2014, when the firm's fleet and consumer businesses on the continent were merged into one business. Founded in 1996, Mix Telematics has grown into a leading global provider of fleet and mobile asset management solutions and is listed on both the Johannesburg and New York stock exchanges. Using a software-as-a-service delivery model, Mix Telematics delivers solutions to customers in more than 120 countries across six continents, with offices in South Africa, the UK, the US, Uganda, Brazil, Australia, and the UAE. This is African Tech Conversations. Brendan, I'd like you to think back to a time in your childhood when you felt very unsafe. And I'm not talking uh, mildly unsafe. I mean, maybe feared for your life unsafe. Okay, so once you have that memory, um, go ahead and tell me about it. I can't say I've really ever feared for my life. Although I guess every now and then when you step into the road and a car drives past you, you think what could have happened and tend not to overly internalize those things. But I do remember... When I was very young, you know, when houses were open and you didn't have walls in Port Elizabeth, we, um, my father died and it was just myself, my mom and my brother. And one night we heard some guy stealing our car. And uh, I do remember being struck by a bit of fear. And we did have burglar bars on the house, but you never really know what's going to happen after that. And so we sort of let it go through and the car went down the driveway. Uh, it didn't drive. And the irony is we, when we plucked up the courage to go outside the next morning, um, we found the car at the bottom of the road. And so <laughs> it ended up being quite a funny story. But I think at the time, my heartbeat did race quite hard, and I can't say I was very nervous, very, very nervous. So tell me how old you were then, and uh, which neighborhood are we in, who are you with, who's in the house with you, all that. So this is the plush suburbs of Warmer in Port Elizabeth. Um, probably I was probably 11 and a half, so maybe 1987. That's where we were, my mother, my brother, and myself. The world looks very different to what it did in 87. Do you think anything from that experience was a precursor for the dude you'd become, the, the leader you'd become in corporate, and the fact that you essentially run an IT operation that um, is very heavily rooted in safety? It's difficult to say. I must say I was probably right behind everyone when they were looking at everything. But um, I, you know, it's difficult to put a finger on, on where things go in your life and what molds you may be. But um, it, it is something that I remember very clearly. I, I do remember the fun part of finding the car a lot more than I remember the negative part about being worried when people were stealing it. Uh, and also so brazenly because we were just on the other side of the wall. But, um, but yeah, it is difficult to say. I don't know. If you could actually speak to the, to the chap who was creeping into your – well, trying to steal your car. If you could – if you were sitting in front of you right now, what would you say to him, do you think? Well, it is two of them. So I'd, I'd firstly like to ask them – if they actually knew what they were doing because they never found their mobilizer. They managed to move the car down the road, but um, and our road is hell of a steeper. So firstly, they were lucky they didn't crash it because sometimes the electrics don't work and you know it's difficult to control a vehicle, but um, it would be an interesting discussion. And so uh, staying with the, the sort of safety theme, right? Let's keep it to the last year. In the last year, relate a, a scenario where you felt unsafe. Wow, this is, a, this is an interesting one. I'll tell you what, it was a, a couple of months ago, we were, we were in, a, in a combi looking at some rhino in Pongola at Lake Jazini. 
and um, we sort of got ourselves between the rhino and the water. And uh, certainly the kids got more nervous, and then I started to get nervous. Um, so we did do some um, some driving that maybe you shouldn't be doing, and it wasn't my car actually. So, um, but we we got out of there. I must say, I was pretty nervous. And so, as a metaphor for life, what lesson do you draw from that experience? Don't get between the rhinos and the water. <laughs> and applying that to the corporate jungle? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I'm not big one, a big one for sort of adages and sayings. Um, I'm quite a simple person. Uh, I'm a results-driven person. And I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I just look to do things um, logically, basically, and try and deliver a result. Well, and I, I could have told you that. A quick look at your resume gives me a sense of what you've just said, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, I got the chance to speak to Stephen Van Collar uh, over at Barclays Africa, and you guys have something in common. What do you think that is? What are we, both chartered accountants? Oh, first time lucky. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I was hoping I wouldn't have to bring that up. I'm going to ask you what I asked him, which is, what is it about chartered accountant types that, that makes you guys such a popular pick for, for these kind of roles in... in uh, not just South Africa, really, but across the continent. As far as the C-suite club is concerned, I think you guys probably make a decent, at least maybe two-thirds of, of, of leadership in, in, altogether. What is it about it? Is, it? is it what you just mentioned before? Results-oriented, simple guy, uh, details-oriented. What is it about being a chartered accountant or what you've gotten out of that training? So I think, you know, it, 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 certainly in South Africa, it was, a, it was seen as something that, it sort of took your maybe your BCom to another level and got you some experience in business. But maybe, you know, South Africa is quite a multidisciplinary environment. And I think, you know, you get your sort of traditional accountants who stick to their stick to their profession and stay in the profession. But for those of us who maybe have interests outside of the profession, who are slightly more entrepreneurial, who like the relationship side of business, like negotiating deals, it's a great grounding to understand the fundamentals of business. Uh, you know, naturally it's metric. So you, you learn how the numbers stack up. Uh, you also learn how to manage the business. So I think uh, from a you know business can't run out of cash. You've got to collect the debtors. It needs revenue. So if the whole income statement doesn't stack up, you don't have a business. So I think that sort of understanding builds a platform that you can sort of take whichever way you want to take it. You know, if you're a if you're obsessed or a great manufacturing guy, you can really apply those skills in building or making great things. If you're a you know what what happened to me is I, I sort of got into the selling side and the revenue driving side of business, and and that. Um, that was something that I really loved. So I took that on almost as a science, and, and I really love that. I, I believe that revenue is everything, and um, the scoreboard obviously shows you what's going on in the business, but critically, a business is nothing without, its, uh, without revenue, product, and sales. Um, and so that's really where I went on this. I, I don't know Stephen, so I don't know what, what, his, uh, what his passion was, but, but mine was around revenue. Well, you'll need to catch up on our podcast and listen to him. It was actually a very interesting conversation. Some of the things you said ring true in his life as well, but quite different. I want you to to, to give me a sense of, uh, you know, what lines you can draw to your younger self that would uh, direct di- that have a direct correlation to the sort of sales driven, revenue driven guy that you are now. So that eleven year old, like, how did he? How did he get into that vibe? Yeah, so it's certainly, I'm not going to lie, it hasn't been around for, for a long time. Um, I grew up in a family of teachers. Uh, business wasn't something we had at home. Uh, it wasn't something we really spoke about, but I always enjoyed maths. Um, I also, I played a lot of sport. 
So through playing sport, I interacted with people, generally got along well with people, and, and every now and then took leadership positions in, in sporting teams, and I sort of enjoyed that. But uh, how I really got into being a salesman and, 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 uh, and sort of driving a business more from that end than maybe from the numbers side or from other sides is I was working in, a, in an auto spares business, um, and we used to sell aftermarket parts. And, um, you know, I was very much, I was a financial director, very much sitting behind my desk, running the business from within the business. And I got called by a customer. I went out and saw the customer, quite enjoyed the interaction. You know, we, we, we went through whatever that customer wanted, what they wanted to do. And um, I got a call a few days later and they wanted to place a bigger order on us. So when I got the next chance to go to the next customer, off my desk, I ran out and went and saw the next customer. And the same thing happened. So I sort of got into this nice momentum of enjoying it. And then I got an opportunity to move out of that business into the business we're in today. And that sort of just took on, um, took on sort of a natural role. Uh, I really enjoy sitting with people, uh, discussing what they need and seeing how you can help them, um, finding products that better suit their lives, how you can improve their businesses, and also to try and drive competitive advantage. And I think coming from that accountancy, chartered accountancy kind of financial director back- background, the the business-to-business or high-level selling that we do today, I, I sort of understand the, the pain of the business owner or the efficiency drive or the, they're on or what they want to do in terms of driving competitive advantage. And that really helps you to position products well within their environment. So that's really what had happened. As, as a youngster, I didn't – I mean, I did a few little entrepreneurial ventures um, to get myself through university and to, to do a few things. But really, the, the core part was probably only in the last seven to eight years of my life. Yeah, and uh, tell me a little bit about the role of tech in everything you've just described because um, – and tell me if, if you've experienced it similar to, to – you know, my coverage of, of, of tech as a journalist actually happened by, by accident. I, I was actually – you know, I'd cover entrepreneurship and uh, small business and that kind of thing. And in the last sort of three or four years – a lot of the interviews about entrepreneurship and, 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 and small business and startups was invariably about tech. Is that sort of how tech infiltrates your, your career or, or is it more, was it more intentional that, than that for you? Or was it, was it you going out to, to find exciting new things, innovations, because you're just driven by that kind of thing? Or is it just a function of, like you say, helping people optimize performance and get, you know, get, a, you know, get what they need out of a, a, a product or get their business to work better. What was it for you? Yeah, it probably sort of happened by mistake. Uh, I think, you know, I you know, went to varsity, studied, get your first job as a financial manager. And, um, and then, you know, you progress through your career. And I think, um, you know, I joined, I joined what is, you know, Mixed Telematics about 12 years ago, not with a view to how I must hunt down this tech industry, but wow, it's been amazing to be part of it, you know. Um, and I think as you feel more comfortable with it and as you enjoy it, it's a very difficult thing now to veer away from it. It probably has been the ex- most exciting sector in the world over the last maybe 20 to 25 years. And certainly in the last, you know, 10 years, it, it's really been exponentially amazing in terms of, you know, look at what's happened with the smartphone, the tablet. You know, if, if you look around as to how tech is influencing our lives with, with wearables and with everything else we're doing, it's a really, really exciting place to be. Apps are changing our lives in terms of what we can do with them, the information you can get at your fingertips. And I think it's empowering the world to just know so much more, communicate so much more, and, and, and be so much better um, at incredibly fast speed and scale. So, so from that perspective, I, did, I certainly didn't seek it out. 
Uh, would I like to do anything different? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I really, really enjoy the sector. I think it's got a massive appeal. Um, I think the, it, 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 requires, it requires sort of intellect mixed with innovation, and I think that's really what appeals to me. And so do you feel like an outsider in the field uh, because of where you came from, or do you, do you feel like some sort of hybrid yeah, probably a bit of a hybrid, but I, I sort of consider myself to be quite a good pretender now. So, so certainly, although I, I might not be able to program, I can certainly work my way around a conversation. So, so yeah, maybe I'm an imposter to to an industry that's been going for a, for a bit longer. But certainly, we do feel comfortable with it now. You know, it's been you know ten or twelve years probably gets you a ticket to the game and qualifies you. So, so I'm pretty comfortable that I can hold my own. Um, you know, in the sector. And um, yeah, from that perspective, we we have a lot of fun with it. We we love it here. We we encourage our staff to innovate, and and we're constantly investing in new technology and enhancing our own technology. So so from that perspective, it's very exciting. There's nothing dull about it. I'm actually very curious about what you just touched on uh, this idea of imposter syndrome, which I think we all gra- grapple with in some <laughs> shape or form, regardless of the industry you're in. Uh, I mean, you've obviously been an executive a long time. You, you're now the MD of the Africa operation here at, uh, at Mix uh, uh, Telematics. Um, you're also vice president of the global operation. And you, I'll ask you to explain what the differences in those roles and what it practically means day to day. How much pretending you've got it down do you have to? Do you think, as a percentage of the time you spend on the job, have you spent as an executive in the in in a, in a sort of senior role? Yeah, so I think when you when you start any new job, you you always feel a little bit out of your depth. But uh, I think once you you strike a passion for what you do, and once you start to get your teeth into the products, you fast realize that I think to survive in business now, you need to be an expert at what you do and an expert at everything, actually. There, there isn't a place to not be interested in what a business does anymore. I think every staff member needs to be passionately involved in what we do, how we do it, how it's built. And I'm a generally interested person. I'm interested, actually, in pretty much everything. So, so it wasn't too long. The reality is when I realized I was out of my depth, I started really getting into it. And uh, and starting to really understand it. So you know, I'm not exactly a, a an engineer level, but the reality is, is you learn to understand what people are saying. You go home and research stuff you don't know, and you really immerse yourself in it. Because if you if you can't speak with authority and you can't actually understand the base of what you're trying to either sell, promote, or, or service customers with, well, then you you know I think you're going to struggle. And, and so you know, I'm, I'm happy to say we've got a team of people here who who all immerse themselves into the products, what they do, how they work. Work, it's critical uh, in terms of running the business. So, so yeah, not very long, but soon realised you had to really understand what you were in, and then it also helps if you, it helps if you really like what you do. And and we we're in a unique industry, and when the spark lights here, you you sort of like it and you enjoy it. So um, it made made it a lot easier to to understand what I was doing. And what do you like best about what you do? Is it the uh, is it interacting with all those different people? You obviously sound like you have a healthy dose of curiosity. Uh, is it learning new things? Uh, is it getting the deals done? Is it reporting back to the board with those results? Like you say, uh, guys, you said X. Uh, I came back with X Y, and you know, boom, I'm the man. Which part of it? Which part of it just works for you, man? So it's probably it's probably a little bit of a few things. Um, and and so listen, the results are always. I'm a, I, you know I grew up playing a lot of sport, so so you know winning 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 is a big thing in my life, um, and and trying to be the best. Uh, I take losing very badly, so that's probably the starting point. So it is nice, and I am a results driven person. But um, yeah, so so I think I think that 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 probably starts 
you know, starts where starts where it is. But I think you've got to have a passion for what you do. So it's not just going out there. And if you don't enjoy doing something, you won't uh, you won't be able to excel at it. Uh, I do enjoy coming back with the results as much as I'm also very interested in a multitude of businesses. And we serve a multitude of customers from single consumers through to major multinationals, all with different needs. So, so at an intellectual level, you're always sitting with different businesses, thinking of ways you can help people, thinking of ways you can do things. And and so that that um, the fact that we operate in so many diverse industries uh, gives you a huge amount of knowledge around what other people are doing. You know, be it in public transport, be it in transport and logistics. You know, how does the food on the shelf in the supermarket actually get to you fresh and cold? Um, you know, how does the fuel that you you know you fill up with at the garage? How does it get there? Um, you know, what are people doing to 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 manage transport better, more efficiently? And what are we doing in terms of innovating to help? So that's the other very very nice part of it. And so how much of this uh, is transferable? Would you be having as much fun doing what you've just described or at least chasing the, the, the outcomes you've just described at, say, a mining company or I don't know? Um, you know, like is, how much of this is transferable? How much of this is specific to, to what you do here at, at, at Mix? And we're going to go into the business itself. But how much of it is specific to how and where you're doing it right now? Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we operate within a greater sector. So, you know, this transport and logistics sector, it, you know, we are we are certainly sort of call it the technology layer that gives information to people to to make decisions and to optimize their businesses. So so I, I think quite a lot of our skills are transferable. Um but you know, we we sitting in the in sort of the high tech part of the sector, which is really nice. Uh, you know, we we are we delivering um, information with software. The software is always changing. It's always being upgraded. It's always being enhanced. Things are always being added. So I think from that perspective, we are we certainly are at the at the forefront of momentum when it comes to change and when it comes to driving new things. So that probably keeps you quite invigorated. Um, yeah, maybe I could liken it to a restaurant because you know certainly our consumer business, you're interacting with. Consumers, Consumers all the time, you know, happy ones, sad ones. You're having to talk to people. You you can't just you know not engage. You know, so so maybe that maybe that restaurant analogy works. Uh, but I must say, a very busy one. So right. So uh, let's talk about mixed telematics now. Um, very big business. I think 120 countries. Correct me if I'm wrong. 120 countries. You guys are in listed on two continents uh, in South Africa on the JSC. I believe the New York Stock Exchange as well. Um, just, I mean, I could list all the crazy numbers that sort of just validate the fact that you're, relatively speaking, a monster uh, in <laughs> in the field. Um, explain to a 10-year-old what it comes down to in terms of what Mixed Telematics does. Like, what are you guys here to do? Okay, so if I could just split it into two. So I'm lost. I'm 10. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll speak slowly as well. So I think um, so. What do we do? We I, th- I think certainly in the consumer market, and it crosses over into the into the corporate market. We we protect consumers in and around their vehicles. Um, so we we find stolen cars, and we we make people safe in their vehicles, their families, their loved ones, and everyone else. We look after them. That's really good. I have to say, I thought you were going to struggle with this. I thought I was going to interrupt you every two seconds and go, "Come on, I don't know what that means." Then, and I think. Our learnings out of that also then extend us into the commercial market. So if I was talking to a 10-year-old, I mean, I'd use exactly the analogy. You know, we, 
we empower the transport companies to make sure the food is fresh in the shops, to make sure the milk doesn't go off, to make sure there's, uh, there's fuel at the garages, also to make sure that those, those, those trucks and vehicles that are delivering are driven safely and they're not having accidents, to make sure people properly maintain those, those vehicles. So, so what are we doing? We're providing sort of a level of efficiency and we want to make safer roads. And so typically, uh, in terms of your business development cycle, typically, who are you engaging with within, within corporations? It, within corporations first, and again, with, uh, and how do you engage with end consumers, if, if at all? So, so I'll just, again, so on, on, on the, in the business side, so the corporation side, uh, certainly in the private environment, we, we like to speak to the owner. We can provide tangible savings for what we do. So talking to the owner, financial director is critical for us. Um, you know, we, we sort of consider our, our business-to-business deployments to be large enterprise kind of deals. So we want to talk to the senior decision makers. Often we do start at, at, at sort of the lower ends of the organization, maybe through a, a fact-finding kind of process, but we do like to get into the boardrooms and show people what we can do. Uh, at a consumer level, we talk directly to the consumers. We do work through intermediaries, so be it you know buying a car at a motor dealership, talking to your insurance company, talking to other other places in the market where you might find us at the point of sale. We we deliver our message to those consumers, and it's around personal safety and security. And so, in that uh, context, are you going to market as a, a white label partner, uh, back end, and allowing those you know intermediaries to sell via their brands? So no, it's a sell-through strategy. So we carry our own brand. So our brands are Beamy uh, Matrix, and then we we trade in the business environment under Mixed Telematics. So we use essentially the intermediary promotes our brand, may promote other brands as well, but generally speaking, they promote the features, products, and services that we sell, and 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 that gets taken to market that way. We do have pull-through strategies, so we go above the line onto television, onto radio, uh, sponsoring events, and getting our brands out there. So there's brand association that the customer has when they are sitting in front of that intermediary, which maybe helps you in the sale or helps you from a brand perception level. Uh, and in the corporate market, we, we like to direct sell. Um, and or we take product to market through resellers. So there might be an element of, of mixed brand through resellers where we provide a wholesale market, uh, a wholesale sort of strategy, uh, empowering other businesses to deliver value into, into the corporate market. Otherwise, we do deal directly. So that would be our salespeople sourcing leads, finding places where we can add value and, and closing those deals. And in terms of developing the the uh, technology to support delivering on all these mandates and in, in, in the business you try and do, how much of that is in house? Do you have a small army of software developers uh, developing uh, new ideas? Uh, how much of the work you do is proprietary? Do you outsource it? So generally, Mixed Telematics owns its own ecosystem. So we've got a team of people down in Cape Town. Who, where we have software and hardware engineers. So we produce our own hardware and software. Uh, we do third-party source certain things, but not core to the, the actual platform or, um, or ecosystem. So we like to own that um, so that we've got control over it. And so, no, we, we build our own intellectual property. We own it all ourselves. And we like to think we've competed very favorably globally. What do you make of this uh, in, in modern uh, trend towards... I suppose I don't want to use the word disruption, but really it is. Uh, but it's it's not typically it's not typically disruption. It's it's large corporates like you, like like yours that um, are not staying in their lane, that don't are no longer content out of necessity at, at most times uh, to to remain say one thing. 
say, a logistics business or a security business or a mobile telco or a social media platform, if you're Facebook, um, what sort of pressures strategically does that put on you to in, in, in thinking about the next five years, the next 10 years? Yes, I think you've got to constantly monitor, you know, where you are and, and, and the applicability of your products in your various markets. So I don't think we would discount adding to our portfolio. Uh, the reality is our core portfolio is still is still working for us very well, and we are continually adding so so whilst we haven 't taken a complete direction change that you may have mentioned you know in one of your other analogies, the reality is we continually build value out around um, around what we do. You know our business started with sort of a core telematic platform. We now offer additional software which may make companies more efficient, um, it may add to their security, and we do build out those applications and services and keep adding to that. I know you're a big fan of the trend towards the Internet of Things, machine learning, and that kind of thing. This is going to be interesting now. Uh, I mean, a lot of interesting things happening in more developed markets in the U.S. Um, driverless cars, I believe, are going to come online a lot sooner than even I thought at some point. Uh, you know, we could be seeing drone-delivered food to supermarkets. We could be seeing all sorts of things that uh, probably didn't exist in '96 when when Mix, you know, began. Uh, how, how is Mix Telematics? positioning to be part of that move and not be made redundant by perhaps robots that need you know that can essentially crunch numbers and and do everything we humans have been doing for a while yeah so i think you know i i have my own views on the on the pipeline to driverless cars and and certainly driverless trucks i think it might take a little bit longer than we think but tell me why tell me why let's pause there we'll come back to, to my original question what i'm interested what, what what's what's your idea around that pipeline yeah so i also read the literature and i think you know people are are conflicted in terms of what they think is coming soon or later, but you know I think uh, the you know draw the analogy of a of a thirty five ton truck going down Fenrenen's Pass. Um, it it you might be able to get into a healthy debate as to what's what's safer that being driverless or having a driver with it. But um, I do think we've got some way to go before the world will accept a vehicle that isn't driven at a regulatory kind of level. I think, you know, maybe taxi cabs and things like that may start the process. So, you know, but our our products and services, drivers are an important part of them, but we also look at efficiency, safety, security, and other aspects. So so even if you're a passenger on a on a driverless bus, for example, in the future, someone's still going to need to know that that bus is being sort of monitored, the software is being assessed somehow, uh, you know, is that bus on the right route, is it safe, uh, is it being driven properly even if it's by the machine because, you know, we all know things can go wrong, you know, so so I, I do feel, you know, we, we are transitioning our, our business towards maybe a, a different world where, where we'll become less reliant on making hardware to deliver information to our back end of software, but our business is primarily a software as a service business and we have really tipped the focus into delivering services through the software. So, you know, so I think I think as that evolution unfolds, we'll look for places where we can position, uh, be it in a driverless car, you know, be it in a driverless truck. But I do think we've got some time to go before the world can get its head around, um, you know, big loads, big things being carried by, by, by a vehicle with nothing in it. Okay, so here's the thing. Let, let's imagine for a moment this future was tomorrow. How would that disrupt your model currently? So I think, I think um, you know, potentially for us, we – 
one of one of the pillars in our business is to work with the drivers. So I think, um, but the software and technology we've developed over the years understands how a vehicle should be driven. And I think that can also be applied then to assess the vehicle as to how it's being driven, even if it's being driven by a computer or being routed or scheduled, um, you know, in, in that way. I think also there are a lot of other aspects to um, – you know, to our business from a compliance, a safety and security aspect, um, and and certainly, you know, even if, as I say, if you're a, if you're a passenger in a bus and uh, getting brought back from school, and and your mum or dad wants to see where you are and where you're dropping at the bus stop, our software and services can provide that provide them with that information and the assurance as to how the bus has been driven. Um, so so yes, we'll have to reposition. I think we we've, we've still got quite a long aftermarket to go, and 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 the world is at various stages of of age of vehicle and vehicle park. But you know, I think we also relied on um, to 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 make those strategic decisions and to innovate around where it's going. You know, we know tech doesn't stand still, and we're not naive to think that what we make today will always sell uh, in twenty or thirty years' time. But I think it's uh, to take our our learnings and and the innovation we have, and to move with. The industry, as opposed to just staying in one place. And if you if you could tell me the biggest disadvantage to mix telematics being the size you are, as big as you are, as established as you are, as well resourced as you are, if there was one disadvantage in that in the context in the context of everything we've been discussing, what would you say that disadvantage would be? Yeah, so I mean, we, we we don't feel we're by any means in a in a mature market. So you know, globally, the telematics penetration is still very very low. So so we're not quite at that massive stage where you have to where, where that's becoming an encumbrance to us. I think you know you've mentioned we we present in 120 countries. We've probably got owned offices or, or our own presence in about eight countries uh, where we where we focus on on growing our businesses, and then the rest of the countries we take our market our product to market via via reseller channel. But um, I don't think we, we, we're quite there yet. Um, you know, I think there, there are certainly smaller players. There are bigger players. But we still consider ourselves small enough to be nimble, uh, large enough to have a global presence and a global brand. As, as you mentioned earlier, we, we've got a listing both in Johannesburg and in New York. So, so we've got sort of a global presence and a global credibility. Um, we, are, 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 we would like to potentially have the problem you've just painted. I, I don't feel that we are, we are, we are big, certainly not big enough yet. We have far more grander plans in terms of where we want to take the business from a subscriber vehicles under management level. So, so really that, that, that size to hindrance is not there yet. Right. So back to the machine learning point I made earlier. Uh, is it really far-fetched to think of a, a future where, I mean, all my route planning, all my optimization, my, my fleet management, uh, my uh, uh, anything to do with the optimization of, of a fleet, uh, my, my, you know, my uh, retail system or my, my supply chain, uh, everything could potentially be managed or, or, or taught to a machine to manage? Is it, is it a little far-fetched is it an oversimplification is it someone who clearly doesn't understand just how complicated it must be to 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 do what you guys do at mix no so i mean on that side we are doing it with software already so so we don't have people sitting drawing pictures about where vehicles must stop we've built algorithms and we've built methodologies so that vehicles travel to the right point first move to the next point and, and are optimized so 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 that that already exists uh, you know, I think there's, there's been quite a big drive for competitive advantage, and and kind of that kind of thing has has really driven efficiency into transport and logistics businesses. Not a lot of it is done. Um, you know, there are people who need to understand the industry and who need to walk out into the yard and and find the right vehicles and just do a little bit of 
uh, assessment, but largely the computers are driving um, are driving those businesses from a planning perspective uh, and from an efficiency perspective. Those decisions aren't being taken by people. Yeah, you've got a driver behind the wheel, and you've got operators in a control room, and and they might be fulfilling various functions. But but certainly the there is already a lot of intelligence applied into the tech that makes our customers' lives easier. And so typically that sort of uh, ability to, del- to deliver on that would have been concentrated in, in a few people in, in the past. But I think the mobile factor is showing, you know, the likes of Uber, for example, are showing that you can actually piggyback off the very hard work and, and, and blood, sweat and tears of people who've come before and basically create something uh, quite, you know, quite uh, impressive on top of that without the the crazy amount of cost invested in in, you know in developing the infrastructure etc do you see those kind of things as potential threats to the way you've done business no in a way i almost see that you know that is the mindset we have here so you know we we currently have a world where we where we supply onboard computers and we supply software uh, I think as we transition, we'd we'd like to see a world where we were not hardware dependent, and we could run exactly light, like call it an Uber kind of kind of business, where you are providing actionable intelligence through your software um, without having the the encumbrance of hardware. So, in other words, taking information out of vehicles, assets, whatever other type of you mentioned, the Internet of Things, other type of information providers, putting that all together and 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 making making decisions on behalf of people to give them competitive advantage, improve safety, improve efficiency. That's, that's a world we see. So I think we, we're quite wired into that kind of development. Uh, you know, we love to see things like Uber and these kind of things unfold because they do drive everyone's innovative thinking. So, so from that perspective, you know, I, I, I almost see those as complementary to where we are. Right. So let's talk about what comes with the, 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 the pervasiveness of the Internet of Things. And excite, it's obviously an ex- exciting terrain for all of us. But potentially scary. I mean, given the the world we that we live in and how scary it's becoming in terms of security, man. I mean, or is that is 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 your strategy twofold in that regard? In the sense that you you could be part of the the trend, but also protect us on the back end. Yeah, so I think if you if you sort of want to bring up the discussion around data privacy and and people's uh, people's information, you know, we take that hell of a seriously. I still think the the world has to settle down in terms of understanding you know, who's entitled to what and who wants to give what. You know, you, you certainly see the younger folk very happy to, free, to freely share information. Uh, it's a lot less of a decision. And, and other, you know, and other sort of the, the older folk are, are slightly skeptical about it. They've sort of lived through the change, whereas, whereas the younger folk uh, have sort of grown up in the change. So, so I think, um, you know, certainly from a customer's perspective, we, we certainly don't take that for granted. I think no tech business does and no tech business should. It is a very important thing because, you know, whilst, you know, one of your customers might think one way, another might think another. So, so you know, being able to being able to work with the differing mindsets of, of people around the globe is very important. But, you know, privacy is high up on the agenda. Uh, data protection is very, very high up on the agenda. So all of, all of those kind of megatrends, I think, still need to settle. But, you know, I think the world will change in terms of, in terms of, uh, in terms of people's opinion and, and also in terms of the necessity to ensure things are secured properly. And where do you think the burden for keeping ourselves safe should, should lie uh, principally? Um, on the consumer like me or on the likes of Facebook who are essentially rolling out blue internet uh, around the world. And I mean, where do you stand on some of these issues in terms of, is it a hard line for you or 
are you happy to see where things evolve? You know, I think, you know, for me, any healthy relationship has a bit of work on both sides. So, so I think, uh, you know, even, you know, in, in, in the customer service environment, you know, you get your, you get your best, your best results when both parties are working together. So I don't believe it lies with some, some, you know, in, in, in one camp only. I think a lot of the cases we get are sort of these single camp scenarios where, where someone, you know, suddenly either attacks a, 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 one, of these, one of these large tech businesses as a result of something happening. I do think you need to be vigilant on, the, on your personal side. And equally, I think the companies have an obligation. So I think it's, it's, it's active communication from both sides to make sure you get to a place where both parties understand exactly what, what they're trying to achieve and what the implications are. I think for consumers just to be naive that 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 you know your service provider facebook whoever will just take care of it i think is um i think it's a naive view i think you need to know yourself all the implications of what you're dealing with uh, at a privacy level right so let's talk about the the region you manage uh africa which is a huge continent <laughs> and i'm going to ask you a question that i ask a lot of Afri- heads of of business um especially heads of business africa i mean some you do get like heads of sub-saharan africa etc um okay firstly let, let, let me let me ease into it by asking what sort of contribution the region makes in terms of revenue to the overall global business yeah, so we, you know, we we contribute significantly to the turnover and and to the size and scale of mixed telematics. So, you know, we this is where the business started, and our strategy is to grow the business globally. So, you know, this has been sort of the the foundation of our growth. Uh, you know, from '96 to where we are today. So, you know, I think um, without devel- without going into too much um, uh, uh, numerical stuff, you know, our annual reports and everything are available. We break it down all segmentally. But Africa is important to us. Uh, it always has been. Um, you know, I think you know as we grow, and our intentions are to grow aggressively offshore. Um, I think you'll, you'll see the centricity of the business certainly change over time. We've got a big business here. Uh, the market in South Africa is a big market, telematics sort of, it's one of the oldest telematics markets, whereas in other places of the world we see great opportunity for exponential growth. What does someone sitting in Guinea-Bissau say? Some, and I'm using that as quite a relatively random example of the diversity we have on the continent. What sense could you give someone sitting there that they're part of your strategy? Well, I mean, I can give you the guy's name. His name's Diakita. Nice, nice, nice. I didn't see that coming. And we could phone him right now, and I think he'll give you a, he'll give you a very, very good um, uh, uh, you know, breakdown of what Mix has done for him in business uh, and how he's been able to deploy our products and services uh, into his customers. And um, be it you know be it large multinational oil companies right down to 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 small businesses in the area. So you know we're a relationship business. I've been doing business on the continent for twelve years. We know these people with names and faces. We organise regular interactions and events. I've got a team of guys who travel the continent uh, regularly, spending a lot of time in country. Uh, yeah, so so you know we we know names and faces in in countries in Africa. Our products are deployed extensively and. Um, and yeah, we, we, we certainly, we, we, we like it. And so you've actually led, you know, beautiful segue into what I want to talk about. I mean, uh, South African companies have been having, or South Africa-based companies have had, uh, you know, problematic PR. I'm, I don't know how else to put it. But um, this, the sense that, uh, you know, South Africa is apart from the rest of the continent and uh, considers the rest of the continent sort of one big market and, and that kind of thing. Um, 
Do, do you see that as a, as a, as a problem? I, I, I certainly sense that it has been, but it might be changing. What do you think? Yeah, so it's an interesting one, you know, because you know, we do classify our sort of divisional functions here as South Africa and rest of Africa. And uh, when I do travel… You do not. Seriously? Uh, when I do travel, I, I, have, I have come under, um, have had some interesting discussions about that. But, but you know, certainly it's not the way we treat it uh, physically. We, we take a lot of effort to work in all the different countries, a uh, big focus on in, in and around the East African region, which is very exciting at the moment. Um, sort of the West is, is, is a, a little bit more of a challenge at the moment. I think some of the, the commodity countries are struggling for forex and liquidity, so that's not easy. Uh, East is keeping us really, really busy at the moment. So, yeah, but I mean, we, we like to think of ourselves as an as a, as a African continental business. Um, you know, South Africa, you know, we, it led the way. Uh, you know, but uh, we've learned a lot from doing business here, and we want to certainly deploy that, uh, deploy that into the continent as, to, into as many customers as possible. I would have thought that cloud computing would set, uh, at least the um, uh, cloud computing would would uh, set the stage for scale, you know you guys scaling quite quite rapidly into the rest of the continent. Or is is this an infrastructure issue? Uh, what what would you say are the biggest hindrances to you guys rolling out and becoming as big a business here as as big a business say in Egypt as you are here? Yeah, so I think. Um I think we've crossed a few of the scalability issues. You know, years ago, um, you know, certainly there was very little connectivity. And then as the, cell, as the cell phone networks rolled out in Africa, it really opened up our life. You know, our product works on the back of GSM technology. So as in, you know, at the time it was sort of Zane on the east, and then you've got the MTNs the, and all the other providers down the west. As they grew, it really assisted us. We, we used to sell home-based solutions where customers sort of ran their own ecosystem on site. But very early on, Mix took a cloud-based view. Um, and as those countries rolled out, we transition to the cloud. So so we've been in the cloud in Africa since probably since early 2007. Um, and and so we are we are uninhibited by connectivity. Uh, connectivity is actually pretty good where, where where we are. I think I think you know the adoption has sort of been slightly slower. Uh, and also you know the, the consumer markets are, are pretty weak. The, the theft issues don't exist uh, in in Africa like they do in South Africa. So our focus is largely corporate. Um, and and that sort of started with the large global multinationals, and that's filtering into uh, sort of the local privates, uh, and 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 growing quite nicely. So you know we um, we have a view that Africa will continue to grow. Um, we're positive about it, and and it's proving to to be working out for us quite nicely. Uh, what do you say to people who hold a cynical view that um, you know the security issue in South Africa is? Uh, indeed an issue. I don't think anyone can sort of deny that security uh, in general is an issue, but it's also a really large business. And uh, what, what do you say to people, conspiracy theorists, who, who believe that there's there's quite a lot of incentive um, to, to keep the, the sort of sense of fear and paranoia in, in our sense of safety here in South Africa specifically uh, at, 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 you know, fever pitch? Yeah, I think I think any South African would would love to be in a position where we didn't need security businesses. Well, maybe they wouldn't, but but certainly I think you wouldn't. Surely, I mean, well, no, I think we'd back ourselves to find up some other entrepreneurial idea where we add value. So, also our business isn't totally security focused. You know, as I said, we we focus on a lot of other aspects and disciplines. Uh, safety's got a, a massive focus here. How people drive, preventing accidents, safer roads. That's got nothing to do with security. The, the reality is equally business competitiveness through efficiency. 
Um, and 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 there are lots of other aspects to our business which aren't which don't rely and revolve around security. Clearly, security is a you know is something we. We, we, we do focus on because it adds value in the lives of our customers and gives people peace of mind uh, and certainly controls what is a what is a scenario that I think without us would be uncontrollable so so yeah look it's a pity we have it um, but I think you know for us we you know we, we we have that focus in our business but equally we have a very high tech innovative focus which uh, which provides value in a lot of other areas as well do you guys acquire innovation uh, ever in 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 say uh, ex- external innovation through through startups, for example. Yeah, we have. We we've had a we've had a dip at a couple of startups over the years. Um, you know, sort of the short the two that come to mind. One in sort of the optimization sector, the other one in the mobile sector. So it gets you a little bit of a little bit ahead of the time to market in terms of developing. You know, a lot of our other core we've developed ourselves over time, built our core platforms. Um, but if we do feel we need a little bit of a time to market jump, in other words, just to get ahead, we may do a technology-based acquisition. And as I say, we've done two in recent past in, in, in my environment um, that have proved to be successful for the business. So it's not something we would discount. Um, and it is something we always evaluate when we do see technology unfolding. That's interesting. So uh, you, you've alluded to the strategic approach around uh, seeking it out. You essentially look at an area where you'd like to grow or a, a leap or sort of a, a gap you'd like to cover quite quickly. And then you go to markets shopping around for partners who have already done the hard work that you could you could sort of acquire and bring in without doing it yourselves or doing it as quickly. Is that Does that basically sum it up? Yeah, very close. I mean, it's probably not an aggressive shop out or someone, you know, saying we're looking for this. Generally, we're out there in the market, feeling the market. And the moment you find something that might be a little bit alternative, a little bit ahead, we know about it. So, so those can become attractive to add to the portfolio. So that's probably more how we find them. We more, we find it from being out and very involved sort of in our trade, uh, as opposed to sort of, you know, putting out a blanket call for, okay, we're looking for the next technology in this. Um, so that's, that's really more the approach. And so if I were to position myself, if I were in a position to position myself as a startup you'd love to acquire right now based on perhaps a strategic need you're looking to cover, what sort of startup would I need to be? So I think, you know, anything, um, you know, in and around the vehicle uh, at this stage, we, we, you know, or, or around assets, Internet of Things, you know, we, I think we, we, we're constantly looking as to what's being developed out there at the moment. And and you know I think as you say people who are not encumbered by by our core business might come up with good ideas and and provide sort of that sort of scalable startup that we could append nicely to the business. I think um, sometimes it's difficult to point your finger on exactly uh, you know what it could be. I also don't want to give away too many secrets. So boring. <laughs> but I thought I was going to leave here and go start a business, Brian, come <laughs> and come and pitch. Yeah, we were talking about um, getting into sort of talk show radio as well. So oh, oh, oh! Now you want to get personal? <laughs> so we we we've actually had you in our sights, Andile. So I'm glad we're meeting today. This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Well, listen, uh, it's going to be downhill from here. Uh, we've had a lovely chat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Uh, who knows? I might just be acquired tomorrow. Um, yeah. Uh, you might need to acquire my wife as well. <laughs> Um, what does that come with? Well, she's got actuarial skills. <laughs> oh, that could help. <laughs> she's handy. She might be handy. Well, uh, you know, uh, do you, are you invested personally in the in the startup scene at all? Does your does your role permit it? Um, uh, do you dabble at all as a as an angel investor, perhaps, or uh, or or maybe sit on a board of some VC? 
I, I don't. So, so my focus is here. Um, you know, as I say, I've been here for 12 years. So, so I think we like to keep our focus on the business. And, you know, maybe that's one of the things I didn't speak about when I got into sales. Uh, I also, one of the other things I really do believe in is focus. And so, so while we're here, we're completely focused on what we do. I think, you know, as a business, we, I've said earlier, we do look at, you know, could we, you know, looking at startup businesses, seeing what they're doing, you know, startups are unencumbered by the, by the larger business. So sometimes they can think of very clever things. But, but for me, this is a, this is a 27 hour a day job. We continually wired into this business every day of the week. The, the motor vehicles and deliveries and logistics industry doesn't stop for us to have weekends off. So, so the reality is it's pretty busy. I can attest to this given how long we've been waiting to speak to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, listen, um, if uh, Mixed Telematics, say the board, sat you down and said, listen, buddy, you've done an amazing job. Uh, you've turned X to XY and we just can't, we don't even know how you did it. You're so brilliant. Um, what we're going to do is going to give you a year. In fact, we'll give you two years off. Um, when you come back, not only will you, you know, you'll be chairman of the board, we guarantee it. Uh, uh, but for the two years you're away, we're going to give you a beautiful nest, a, a beautiful uh, amount of money. Um, let's, let's pitch it at, since you guys are in New York, let's say it's a hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollars for you to blow. Listen, what you do with it, whether it comes back as, as a billion rand or a billion dollars or not, we just want you to just go, let your hair down and, and invest a hundred million dollars in something that really gets you going. And look, if it's got great business potential, all the better for us, but really this is just us saying thank you for all the hard work you've done here at Mixed Telematics. Uh, I hope you appreciate the time and energy I've taken to paint that picture. Now, given that picture, <laughs> given that picture, what would you do with a hundred million dollars um, over two years? Uh, of course, you get to come back, get to come back to Mixed Telematics and pick up where you left off with some more, with even more perks than you have right now. So, what would you do? So, do you have the paperwork here for that deal? <laughs> if you just give me your chairman's number, I'm just. Uh... He's actually just outside the door here eating lunch, but we can talk to him later. Um, You know, personally, I'd probably do something charitable and social. Um, You know, I think, uh, you know, there's so many people in need of empowerment and excitement, and, and I'd love to take sort of, um, technology into into a place where people maybe don't have access to it um, and, and put some kind of social, some kind of education, some kind of upliftment spin onto it. You know, $100 million we can do a lot with. Um, certainly I'd bring it back here now because the currency is uh, very, very favorable. And, and I think we could really make it work for us. But I think uh, that kind of social entrepreneurship also rings true to, to, to the way I feel about things. And so I do my very best to, to deploy it properly in those two years. All right, so definitely in the education space, definitely in places where it oh within tech, yeah, I think tech and education, maybe coupling the two. I think there's massive scope to to reach out to a lot of people um, uh, and uh, you know by deploying the, uh, technology resources into into um, into areas where people haven't had access to it. If you could play any uh, character in in a movie, which character would you play? Now, this is an interesting one. I think I'd like to be Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. Really? Why? I think it was just such an interesting movie. You know, it was groundbreaking at the time. And I think those two guys had such a such a unique experience that happened to them. Okay, so what is it that is so different to your experience and his experience that you'd be looking to sort of experience through him, vicariously through him, do you think? 
Yeah, well, so firstly, I'm not a mobster. So, so, and I think would you like to like break some break some knees or ca- cap some people? There's, every now and then, you would like to. You know, so, so, no, listen. I, I hope all your employees are listening. All your staff are listening. I think, um, I think, uh, really, you know, those, you know, it's it's maybe a side that none of us will ever have access to or aspire to having access to. But when you when you're escaping during a movie, it's uh, it certainly is quite entertaining. Um. What is the one thing about you that would surprise your children, do you think? I don't think my children would be surprised by anything by me. I think we, 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 have a, we run a chaotic household and it's very open. And um, uh, I think our, our, our kids are very intertwined into our life. And, um, and I think they know me pretty well. So I'm not convinced uh, they'd be very surprised with anything. And how old are they? Uh, I've got a boy who's 12, a daughter who's 10, and uh, another son who's 6. Okay, I know they're definitely coming too. I don't think you can hide from them. Uh, look, do you listen to podcasts? I, I can't say I listen to a lot of them. Uh, moving on, I'm offended. I'm about, <laughs> I'm about to become a big listener. This is awesome. No, no. You <laughs> start with ours. Start with ours. I think as the tech industry evolves, also we've got to get more and more used to you know, accessing different kinds of uh, – kinds of information i think it's a there's a there's been a bit of an overload and now you're probably in a refinement phase so you know i think i I uncapped my adsl line now at home because it's just getting unbelievable the amount of data we're consuming everywhere so you know so podcasts another form of i think call it an equivalent to kind of radio you're hearing of all these different startups internet-based startups and so again technology is challenging the the convention so you we talked about a technology that you think uh is slightly overhyped, at least in as far as uh, how quickly people think it's going to be part of you know the present uh, in, in driverless cars. We spoke about that earlier. Which is what is the one area in tech do you think that is underplayed? An area that you think is going to like revolutionize the way we've always lived, but um, but no one re- no one really picks it up. And, and I'm asking you because in a sense. Uh, the work you do at Mixed Telematics, this type of tech really, it, it isn't in our faces the way, say, the apps and our smartphones are, and, and yet it is such an integral part of of modern civilization, if you think about it, uh, you know, and yet and yet it's quite easy to, to overlook. What's an area of tech do you think we, we, we overlook in a similar way? Yeah, so I think, I think you know, you, you, you alluded to Uber and this kind of um, – call it better usage of assets. I, I don't think the world has quite got its head around what mathematics can do to ownership and usage of assets. You know, I think of the classic motorboat scenario. So, you know, every every Joburg has got a boat locked up in a garage somewhere which they never utilize. And um and if you look at if you look at the use of motor vehicles, you know, we drive our car to work and then it parks here for eight hours and we drive it home. And sometimes on a weekend, you don't drive it at all. You know, do you need that asset every hour of the day? So, and when you look at other capital assets, you know, I think um, we were just having this discussion. I think, you know, certainly with more expensive assets, fractional ownership drove the way of maybe airplanes, very, very high big ticket items. But but I think as 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 life evolves, um, you know, by 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 using technology to better allocate resources. So I drive my car to work. Maybe someone needs it from nine till eleven. I certainly don't. So, but the, the ramifications of that on the world, in terms of manufacturing, in terms of everything else, in terms of how much gets um, produced. I mean, I, I 
I, I was never good at economics, so so I, I'm a good profit and loss guy, revenue, less expenses, money in the bank. But but the reality is, I don't think those have been answered yet in terms of what the implications of our lives are. You know, so if you take cars out of circulation, or if you take airplanes out of circulation, you take motorboats out of circulation, you start borrowing golf clubs, which is debatable whether you want to do it. So you start sharing clothes. Yeah, let's not go there. But uh, I mean, uh, you are dressed up quite nicely, so I quite like your kit. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, you're not having it. Yeah. So we're not going to do a clothing swap. No, that's not happening. Certainly not happening. But I think I think I think um, you know processing speed is now is now getting faster and faster. So the power of mathematics is really being unleashed now. I think you know previously people had to go and work it out on a piece of paper or on a board. Uh, computers can now produce very very fast. Um, um, answers for things very, very quickly, and we've seen it. Applications we use during the day, everything we do. Yeah, so definitely the optimization of the, the resources we have at our disposal that are probably not being optimized. Definitely an interesting one. Now, how would you like to be remembered? Tombstone. Wow, that's uh, on the spot. I don't, uh, don't really feel like flashing forward to that one. Well, <laughs> I think... Uh, Good way to end an interview. You know, I'd like to... I'd like to be seen as innovative and fair. Um, Would you like that on your tombstone, though, innovative and fair? Yeah, well, you've put me on the spot here, and I hadn't really contemplated death on the way to work. So, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe it's, maybe if the day gets on and the stress picks up, I'll get a bit closer to what I want. But I think um, – but uh, I just want to be remembered as someone who enjoyed what they do, uh, who drives passion and innovation into things and, and, and tries to get the best out of everyone. I think um, I like working with a bunch of people who are happy, who are enjoying what they're doing, uh, and certainly I try to stimulate that every day. Now we just need to find a bar to put that to song so it can be sung at your funeral. Um, final question. Uh, would, what's a question you wish I would have asked but didn't? Are you playing golf this afternoon? I do not play golf, so that's really simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should teach you. Actually, it might be something I, I might pick up at some point in my life when all else fails. <laughs> no, it's uh, look, I mean, it's it's been great to have a catch-up and a chat. And, um, and yeah, no, I... Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed having this discussion. Fantastic. Uh, the pleasure has indeed been mine. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you very much, Andilio. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to African Tech Conversation.